Hello and welcome to Keyframes, a podcast about anime. I'm your host, Ben Halliburton, and with me today is Duncan. Hey there. And Jeff. Yellow. We got all of your non-existent letters, phone calls, texts, instant messages, and we are covering beaches and hot springs as scenes for filler episodes, or maybe for the basis of entire stories. What is the appeal of the hot spring episode? What is the appeal of the beach episode? Which are good ones? Which ones don't deserve to exist? Probably a lot of them. Uh, and then after the break, we we are going to talk about... I'm going to rant briefly about Battle Athletes Victory Restart. Um, and Duncan has something to say about a particularly famous Ghibli movie that mm-hmm. takes place in a hot springs uh, complex. And Jeff... We'll be talking about Sora Nowoto or Sound of the Sky and Silver Spoon. And hopefully he finds a way to connect those two. Else he's just cheating by bringing two to the table when it's one. So (laughs) for starters, this is my topic. Uh, Unlike Duncan, I am lazy and stupid, so I don't have an erudite explanation of why I, I picked this topic. There are just a lot of. The number one filler episode, usually between episodes like five and seven, five and eight, when they need to like take a break from the main run of the plot, the characters will all get together and go to the beach. The characters will all get together and go to the hot springs. Often if it's a show where people are fighting, there'll be a truce so you can see everyone in their bathing suit costumes and do a bit of lampshading about the show's premise. And yeah, what did y'all think about this topic as you were researching it or just musing hmm. well like the most recent example we've we've run into is probably the like the most ext- extreme like uh nagatoro recently had a, a beach half episode uh-huh. where uh, a senpai gets stamped on yeah. <laughs> and that, if while is it like takes the the trope of um uh the the love interest is uh gets baby all put on them and sunscreen and and <laughs> And instead has him stamped on by her. And that, that was just a bit too much. It was, it was like, okay, I'm, I'm used to, to beach episodes being quite horny, but this is really horny. This is, this is, this, 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 this needs to be put out in a, a separate episode, which goes in a, a brown paper bag when it's handed over on the, the counter or something. Like, it was a li- little bit risque. <laughs> I mean, that's often the case. I was thinking briefly about Sigurd Rifa. Um, and how it had several very, <laughs> very uh, deluxe uh, bath scenes um, with Austin Powers style, like <laughs> objects intervening with the nipples and the pubic area. Um, but otherwise, putting more money into that than they put even into their plane fights. It is a way to like show off in a very greasy, horny way. Mm-hmm. So we know that there is like the cynical explanation for why the beach episode exists, why the onsen episode exists, because that gives you an opportunity to put your cute characters into cute bathing suits and mm-hmm. to reveal their personality and the type of bathing suit they wear. Uh, and there's like there's an entire like like there's like flower language for the type of bathing suit that the the girls wear. But is there is there a uh a narrative reason to have a beach episode ever is it just a is it just like sheer like mercenary like 
instinct to get people horny or is there like a narrative reason to do these kinds of things i mean i think insofar as it is good like every if every episode something is happening from the beginning of episode to the end of the episode um then you can fatigue your audience you can make them make them basically not be able to enjoy it because they're wondering too much about what's going to happen next to upset the status quo i think kind of having a demilitarized zone that is that is the beach or hot springs episode is actually pretty important for making a enjoyable making an, an enjoyable anime series mm-hmm. i mean like i'm always disappointed when like it's just wall-to-wall plot and we never get to see any texture we don't get to see the characters try on different outfits like nothing is more miserable for me at least than an anime uh where the characters have the same hair and the same clothes the entire fucking show um and granted we don't need to like have them constantly changing outfits like is happening with certain shows airing uh this season but still it's yeah i think it is it does have like a technical narrative reason and in terms of of pacing but yeah, I think think you definitely have a, a point with what you said early on about it but li, li, use, using it as like a, a for the same thing that a bar gets used at in a western as like this this place mm. where people uh, can go and and basically put aside their their roles in the outside world and just become customers and mm-hmm. like there's always like the the barkeep who's who's slightly t- more dangerous than than people imagine in the, in that sort of shows and I, I think like um thinking of of specific things um with beach episodes like the two which came to my mind was um uh, dragon maid which was just a, of course. Uh, which is just a, f- a fun episode, just because it it was, uh, um, uh, just like Kana just watching a crab and then just yoink eating it as, as she does with pretty much everything in that show. <laughs> which was just, <laughs> I, I gotta say, those mini shows are doing a great job of warming you up for the next season. Of yeah, Duncan. I can I can feel it rolling off of you. And I, th- I think, like, it had... One One of the things that happened in that was, like, um, no, normally um, Toru has to stay in her human form most of the time to be around uh, uh, Miss Kobayashi. And in the, the beach episode, she got to turn into her, her dragon form and, and lie in the sea with... Uh, uh, and be herself. And I think, like, that's mm-hmm. that's kind of a, one of the, the things it serves where... Uh, characters who for whatever reason are being having to do their job we see them in their job through most of the series we get an episode where we where the implication is this is who they are this is a a moment where they get to just be themselves and and not not worry about their their role in society or in their workplace and to just um carry carry on and and relax and i think like the other thing which came up as a subversion of that was another um i was going to bring that up too because that does violate the the demilitarized zone sort yeah. of yeah and, and, and that was specifically did that where you have a, ho- a horror show which is all about people dying to a curse and you think okay they've, they've gone away and that they're safe here and, and they even have a they even have a theory for why they won't get hurt at the beach. Yeah, and that's spoilers. They're, they're wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, like I, th- I think I've I've mainly focused on hot, hot springs rather than be- beaches in, t- in some of th- my thoughts, and I think part of I think there's kind of a like a 
a contract in in anime at least when it comes to uh how hot springs and hot baths are treated in that like both staff and customers leave who they are behind when they enter in because it's kind of this the illusion of what the hot springs are is important like the the staff have to sort of supplicate themselves from the guests they have to almost treat them as like a, a deity like that they're just these um that, that that they are things to be revered and served but but you don't acknowledge they have any desires like mm-hmm. that's that seems like the, the 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 correct way to do it like the, that you have to be sort of divorced from any standing or and like the moment money or status is is mentioned that's the moment where it turns sort of from like relaxing to gaudy from refined to vulgar and like i think like that my primary like example from that is a konosuba which has mm-hmm. like the end of season two of Konosuba, they go to uh, hot springs where she's run by the Axis Church, who is a she's a cult who worship um, Aqua, the uh, a, a deity who is um, greedy, pushy, and very self-important, and <laughs> they're exactly like her, and it makes them exactly the wrong sort of people to run this this hot springs because every time I'm that they have a customer, they let their desire for money and status um, take precedent over that person's desire for peace and quiet. And mm-hmm. it basically brings the profane into this this sort of sacred uh, space where people are supposed to come be able to separate themselves from their, their lives and jobs. And, where, and so... Kazuma's there just thinking, okay, I, I can just relax for a week. I can be away from these, this annoying life which has been forced on me as, a, as an adventure. I can just, just relax. And instead, he's constantly getting harangued for money and trying to get roped into schemes. And even the, the villain of that arc, Hans, this minion of the, the Demon Lord, is kind of... he He's there and he's trying to poison the hot springs and because he's implicitly breaking this truce he's the one he gets it even worse than Kazuma the show decides right you're going to be punished by being completely hounded from from bit to bit and he can't go away because he's got this job to do there and he's just completely and utterly miserable and, and then really... at the end aqua accidentally purifying the hot spring and turning it all into this normal water changed it from being just a dumb joke that they do every other episode when she's making tea badly into maybe something narratively clever and i bet if you brought that up with the author he would be like yes i planned that (laughs) pregnant pause included the the best the best part about good writing is you don't have to plan (laughs) (laughs) and i don't know if this is cheating but the hot spring episode or the the beach episode that spring keeps bringing to mind uh is the one in avatar the last airbender which is the moment that that show for like because i've been sort of like watching it secondhand my kids got way into it they've watched it (laughs) twice through now in the last couple of months (laughs) because that's the kind that's that's their that's their energy and i mean the obvious stylistic similarities are there because like like the the conceits and the constructions are very anime inspired, but this beach episode mm-hmm. where all of the characters, including like the the quartet of bad guys, you know, 
you know, Zuko who has been chasing the Avatar through the whole show and then his sister and their two like hangers on have a quiet moment where they like you know, they go to a party with all of the most important teenagers in the Fire Nation and they have a scene where they're on the beach and and you, and you get to see like you know you know uncharacteristic moments of like the the big bad psycho girl Azula trying to like fit in and be normal and failing amazingly and then they have a scene where they like literally showed their feelings at each other on the beach around a campfire and it's like okay this show is just basically anime like and it wanted to be yeah and usually when that happens in a western show it's just like oh we're gonna have like you know crazy fights with people yelling moves at each other but usually the characterization is it stays much more like what you would expect like either very shallow or it is like integral to the plot and you don't really have like a much of a separation whereas in this one you have a moment where they actually like you know just go into their past and talk about why they are the way they are and it becomes you know an important turning point i struggle to come up like i know i've seen like things like that in anime <laughs> but yeah. like i i i, I cannot for the life of me come up with a good example of those episodes like you were saying duncan where like what they do is kind of stripped away and all they're left with is like you know is who they are and that gives them an opportunity to take a break from what's going on in the plot and develop the characters and i think like you know if there is a value to these kinds of episodes above and beyond the the service aspect then that's probably what it is Mm. Like one of the things about um, the uh, hot springs and uh, hot baths uh, visual tropes is like the split bathing. This idea of like mm -hmm. this, this, just this bamboo fence uh, is the only thing which separates uh, our hero and his uh, quartet of love interests who are covered with naught but a towel. Um, and like partly that exists there so that they can suggest that more horny things are going on behind that wall than actually are and so they can have their their fan service just be more raunchy than it, it actually is by just being suggestive with the noises which are coming um and mm -hmm. partly he, so that it does serve some interesting um narrative functions that um you can you can have the members of a love triangle sitting there hashing out their their differences while while the while the subject of their interest uh lit sort of surreptitiously listens in i i think that happens in as uh, saikano um where, where the girls have a bit of a discussion in one episode yeah and it's the you know the joke is that they're just talking about anime and they're or they're talking about what the whole what the show is normally and the protagonist you know what he's listening in isn't jealous because he's like oh i want to get in there and see them naked he's like no i want to go in there and talk about anime with them like, this isn't fair. Why do I have to be separated from them at this point? Right, yeah. Mostly just a big subversion. Like, the whole... Sh that, that you know, another, you know, example of that show trying to have its cake and eat it, too. Mm. Yeah, and it's interesting. Like, I feel like there is a lot of, like, weird transgressiveness that happens in in hot springs because of the inherently closed nature of the location versus beaches where, like, 
there's always the pile of rocks off to the right. Mm-hmm. Am I right? In every single beach episode, like you can go, you can go off to the right and eventually you'll find some rocks that you can like climb or get behind or have an accident on, depending on what kind yeah. of or have show your bathing you're doing. suit fall off. <laughs> right. Right. But in a, in the hot springs, I think there's a lot more like ideas of like transgressing small social rules, like walking into the, the men's instead of the women's side of the bath is a huge trope. Um, People racing to drink, girls racing to drink milk because they want to, they want to grow their bust is another <laughs> just like weirdly like voyeuristic trope. Almost what people imagine uh, happens at a hot springs more than what actually does happen mm-hmm. at a hot springs. Mm-hmm. And like that, that bamboo barrier also serves as a convenient metaphor from time to time. Like right. in one of my favorites, eccentric family, you've got uh, Kaisei and y- Yasubo having a, a conversation either sides of a, a, a wall in in a, in a hot bath and just like talking about their family, their, uh, their the, the engagements which they both claim to resent, but is we we know is rooted in something in deeper and like it's kind of this this metaphor for how um, all these things they're letting themselves talk about is what separates them and like mm-hmm. once they get past that they'll be able to be together which finally happens at the end of the, the show um, and I can't I, I, I think often like it does get used in uh, sports shows as well um, things like Run Like the Wind Run, run, mm-hmm. run With the Wind I mean what is it like or is right. it with it's with it's with run with the wind where um believe me we've been over this ground (laughs) where you run with the wind where you can have like a team of people um and there'll be there's always the in in often in shonen sports shows there's a high a strong hierarchy to a team there's the ace there's and there's the, the 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 guy who's terrible and there's the the cup and everyone in between but the hot springs is always somewhere where everyone's kind of equal, like mm-hmm. where they can sort of um, berate the, the star just as much as the the, the loser, and it, it serves as like a a, a leveler, an environment where they can and kind of just be um, equal rather than uh, having this hierarchy. At least until they start comparing each other's busts. And then yeah. one of them sinks below the level or, of the water, and or something else, bitterly, or something else. Yeah, uh, so, so, something which is accidentally ex- uh, hidden by a coke can, or something similar. Um, right. Like yes. Strategically placed. So uh, I mentioned before, maybe off air. I don't even remember. Like the infamously troubled Gurren Lagann hot springs episode, where it, I think it like pushed the the censors' patience a little bit too much. Um, with how many like almost slips they got, um, and of course, yeah, you already stole that. Well, actually, you know what? Uh, Ikamusume, which is just basically an entire show as a beach episode, Squid Girl, uh, where she just comes to invade the the world, um, but she like breaks some. I forget what happens, but she gets dragooned into working at like a a, a seaside shop and gets lazy and gets into video games and never goes on to conquer the world. It's just a bunch of gags, but like every episode is kind of structured like a beach episode because 80% of the events just happen on the beach. And also she's a squid. She can't go too far inland because she has to go back to the water. So there is like interesting elaborations of this like category of show where they, they expand out from one episode to an entire, to an entire experience. 
So I've also noticed that there's frequently a confluence of beach and uh, hot spring episodes and fake supernatural ghost stories, tests of courage, mm, yeah. things like that. Um, again, another excuse to get the characters together and, oh, and the, of course the all important dynamic of they go into the woods, somebody gets hurt and then the guy has to carry them back to safety <laughs> as yeah. being like a turning point in a relationship or, you know, also frequently used like, you know, to create yet another misunderstanding with, you know, the actual love interest or to create something like that. I think the test of courage tends often and like those venturing into the woods often are associated also with like um, school festivals and fireworks and stuff like often often the scene will be they, they'll stumble out of the forest to the perfect viewing point and there'll be the fireworks going up which uh, uh, Nagatoro who had a, a good gag on a couple of <laughs> yeah I mean I thought I was going to hate Nagatoro but they're basically just dating they're yeah. just dating and she's just mean to him all the time and when I see it through that that lens it's actually one of my more favorite favorite romance anime because yeah they end up they end up going through the festival festivals is a separate topic which we'll get to sometime but yeah the summer festival they get through to like a point realize it's a makeout spot and they're both like horrified <laughs> uh, the, the one other thing i wanted to just ask ask you two about is is as i i talked a little bit about with Konosuba is is the idea of um service within um uh, hot springs like mm -hmm. the, the role of the staff the and, and yeah and like i was i can't remember i i think ben ben's watched um uh hannah sakura i don't know if jeff has i, uh, I think you'd like it hannah it. <laughs> it's a it's a city a city girl moves to like work at her grandmother's country bathhouse and discovers how to be less selfish and more of a complete person. Oh, that's it's, great. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. A, it's a Mario. It's, it, it's, it's meant to be, it, it was, it was meant to be a trilogy, trilogy, uh, with Shirabako and, uh, uh, what is it? Sakura quest. Mm. Um, just like girls doing work. Uh, <laughs> Anasaku Iroha is not quite as good as Shirabako, but it's pretty good. I actually have been mm. thinking about a rewatch. Yeah. Because... I, 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 I'm quite, actually quite kind of fond of it as, as like, uh, sort of being really resent, resentful almost when she starts work there and, and then just sort of um coming to to peace with her her sort of new role and, and the people she's met there and like i've we'll be talking part two a bit about spirit away and that has a, a lot mm. to say about um the idea of uh how when you you work in a uh, this this place you have to like leave behind who you are and that's if you bring those qualities into it, you're you're cheapening it basically. In that, there's something almost um, Buddhist to that, like the mm. idea of um, sort of sublining desires and and the self and just uh, being of service to others. And I, th I think that's kind <laughs> of interesting. That that and also the way that just from a, a Western perspective, how like a lot of the ways you. I don't know. This is just just me. Like 
if you ever see alcohol being served in in this they'll always bring it in very carefully and it'll just be placed down and they'll bow and they'll go out it always sort of reminds me of someone like putting offerings before some something it always always feels like a very reverent act well it's, i think it's meant to also evoke uh you know, classical manners you know it's almost like going to like a, a ren fair to a degree where people are <laughs> you know that, enacting those like classic or at least imagined classic hello my like, mannerisms and interactions to feel a little bit more special yeah yeah and plus there's just the whole like shokunin thing of just like absolute dedication to your craft and and i guess especially in anime where often we're seeing idealized people in idealized situations like someone who is just like really dedicated to being to being uh good at whatever job they have i think that's actually part of what makes hanasaku iroha um interesting is that it is her growing up not necessarily uh in a lot of the ways we'd see but she just accepts that like if she's going to do something she better do it well and she like develops standards for herself and it's that kind of maturity as opposed to other kinds of like mm-hmm. letting go or falling into more adult love. It's just literally just like, it's worth it to do. People come here for a good time. If, if they have a bad time, then we go out of business. So, <laughs> yeah, so, so service is very important. Yeah. That's, that's it for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of others. I was un- unable to do a lot of prep this time around because uh, the rapidly changing weather has given me a bunch of situational headaches. Mm. Um, but no, I mean, I, I do think that they're widely mocked, like even even in podcasts that aren't about anime, when they like bring up like the beach episode or the hot springs episode, there's kind of a sense of derision there. But I usually welcome them unless it's a show that has already shown itself to have poor restraint in terms of fan service, in which case I do <laughs> dread them because because that's the other f- function, as Jeff mentioned, the very cynical one is just like, oh, they are two situations where people can get a lot less naked in communal a lot more naked in communal situations than they would um although sometimes less naked sometimes they wear those school swimsuits and there's like that weird fetish mm-hmm. uh, of the like the school swimsuit onesie that covers up everything um, yeah but yeah that's the nameplate and the lip <laughs> <laughs> even that reveals a lot especially yeah. if they have like boob socks and stuff yeah, that re- re- reveals more about the the author and the, the director than anything else <laughs> It's so weird and slime when they make him put on a when they make him put on a school a school swimsuit. It's like it's I okay, you It's just, another you, world. Wait, wait, so which one are we talking about now? <laughs> uh sorry, no, I'm just thinking in um in slime diaries. Oh, they make okay. Rimuru put on they there's a whole joke of them dressing him up in different like young girl outfits and like the ultimate one is like putting him in a school swimsuit and then he, that's when he decides to run away no it's with the bunny outfit that he decides to run away and i don't know it feels like those who hunt elves the amount of like our world stuff that's showing <laughs> showing up in slime dyers at this point but it's the comedy one and the better one too because she owns bust is a normal size <sighs> oh dear Actually, you've just reminded me of the bad slime OVA beach episode. <laughs> go on, <laughs> just go on. Just the like they 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 have a um, they go to a because they they don't know what they live inland. They they go to a huge lake and they're they're, they're obviously yeah, Shion's design is Shion's design, and so uh, she's 
massive ogre lady in a skimpy uh, uh, swimsuit, and that they're very much keen to play on that. And then, mm-hmm. then they have the them that that there's some there's something haunting the lake. It's it's and and it's it turns out to be a tentacle monster, and uh, which is <laughs> which brings in another set of tropes uh, related to another subgenre, which we won't get into. Um, and uh, then uh, Rimuru uh, befriends said tentacle monster, and everything's okay in the end. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff where where characters go to the beach and discover a monster there, and that's again a kind of violation. I guess the idea that like anything can emerge out of the water has has existed since Godzilla, if not before. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's always funny when like yeah, yeah. And I guess like one good example of like a good actually. Uh, Beecher Onsen episode is Hyoka, uh, a show that is by its own nature uh, an anthology. So there isn't really an overarching plot to take a break from. Um, and so there is an episode where, you know, the gang goes to an Onsen and there is, uh, you know, a ghost and it manages to have, you know, do, do its like low stakes uh, mystery with that you can you know, theoretically figure out on your own if you have you know the brain power to do so uh, while still also hitting every uh, you know every box of the checklist of you know you know someone goes into the into the hot spring and ha- and passes out and then wakes up in someone else's room and somebody gets hurt mm-hmm. and has to be carried you know all of those you know all those things while still being a well crafted well constructed tv show another example of why everybody should watch yoka go watch yoka i was trying to, yeah i was thinking i'm not just thinking about beach episodes like there's the all-purpose cultural cat girl nuku nuku episode where like she can't swim because she'll sink to the bottom so they give her like a special special like legs that make her able to swim and then those come off and she sinks to the bottom of the <laughs> of the ocean and has to walk has to walk out to the there's a giant crab robot that, that the mom is sending after them. I love all-purpose cultural cat girl Nuku Nuku. I'm so glad I watched it as a joke. <laughs> <sighs> but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a very fluid format. I think that's, that's another reason why it's such a popular thing to have, because it, it allows you to like disrupt the normal relationships. It allows you to step outside the confines of the plot, and especially the pacing. Um, it allows you to dress up all the characters cute or risque. Um and I don't know, not many anime have an excuse to be by large or even small bodies of water. And so like water gags, like when someone has to hide under the water at the hot springs, and it's too hot. And then they burst out and everyone's surprised that they're there. Um, any number of like pervy dude surrounded by a harem of girls and gets he gets caught in the hot springs. Any, anim- any number of animes have that situation, too. And of course, the boob comparisons. Yeah. Mm. Also a staple of harems in Hot Springs episodes. Yeah, harems and beach episodes go together pretty strongly. I mean, uh, like, like, like Jeff said, it is characterization of like who dresses up in like what in what swimsuits and like mm-hmm. the conservative one wearing like a very like childish like cami top and frilled skirt bottom, or someone with just like the very classic like bikini atoll style bikini. And now, now I can only think of Quetzalcoatl in uh, Dragon Maid. <laughs> She's just like the most ridiculous. Was that, was that not the case before, Duncan? <laughs> She's designed to be to be thought of exclusively and constantly. <laughs> it's more like that 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 thought invades fades the, the mind and then has to be, be like shut in the way quickly. 
Okay, well, let's give let's give Duncan a chance to to bleach his brain, and then we'll come back to talk about Spirited Away, to talk about Battle Athletes Victory Restart, and to talk about Sound of the Sky and Silver Spoon. Duncan, why don't you take us away? So, because c- we were covering um, bathhouses and uh, beaches this week, I decided to rewatch uh, Spirited Away. And I first saw this back in the uh, Halcyon days of 2000. Uh, I've now forgot the year. Yeah, I've got to, yeah, I've got to go back and do some math, yeah. it sounds like. Yeah, I don't want to I do I think that I saw math. it during college, so. Yeah. yeah, we probably both saw it. Saw it back in, yeah, 2001, 2002. It might have been 2002 when it, it aired for, for me. Yeah, that fits for 20. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was... I think, like, often the, the first time you you see a, any film, and especially if you see it in the cinema, tends to colour your, your reading of it for, for going forward, unless you come to it with a specific lens you're trying to look at it with. And so I think I've always kind of just come to Spirited Away as just this, um, with a almost sense of childish wonder as like the first Ghibli I saw in a uh, right. a big screen and like luckily also catching one of their masterworks, like just this transcendent piece of um, uh, fa- fantastical storytelling. And it's been interesting this time to come to it with a, a more... Um, focused lens and like to to ask how how why why a bathhouse why is why is spirited away set in a bathhouse and what does that have to do with its choice to talk about people's sense of identity um so spirit away starts with um chihiro and her her family traveling to a, a new home and we follow her in the, the car ride and she's unhappy because she's been separated from her friends, her home, her school. And she's uprooted. Um, she's she's kind of without a sense of who she is. And she's constantly talking and looking back in the car because she, she doesn't really have any se- sen- a sense of who she is and confidence in that. And mm-hmm. a wrong turn later... And she and her parents find themselves in this sort of strange resort town, and which we later learn is is a place where the spirits come to relax, and is run by a witch called Jababa. I think mm-hmm. I pronounced that right. It's it's a strange name, um, and I think initially that their role in that space is as guests, like her parents' greedy devouring of, of food turns them into pigs. Whereas Chihiro, because she doesn't partake in, in, in the food, is kind of spared. She's kind of, she's, she doesn't fit, but she starts to fade. She starts to, to, to fade from that world because she isn't taking a pl- there's only two types of people in there. There's guests and there's servants, and she's neither of them. So she starts to fade, and it's only when some uh, Haku, who is this uh, 
is a, bo a boy she meets who's working for Yubaba, feeds her something and treats her as a guest, that she takes up one of those roles and becomes solid. And that that that's is kind of interesting like this is a world where you are either one of two things and that totally defines who you are because her first like thing she's told is that in order to to be allowed to stay there and to avoid the fate of her parents she has to bargain with the witch for the right to work there and what's taken from her in that bargain is her name she, her name is changed from chihiro to sen um I'm not sure if if Ben can speak at all to if there's any great meaning in in that choice of of name. I, I've tried my hardest, but I just don't have the knowledge in Japanese, <laughs> especially Japanese characters, to to be able to speak to that. If only Andy were here, but he's not. <laughs> I mean, if I want to like stick my neck way out and make a theory, <laughs> Sen you, sounds Jeff. like <laughs> Sen sounds a lot like Onsen. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Um, like I, th I think, and it's it, like that's the first turning point of the film where she she's forced to stop being a, a child. Like she's not allowed to cry anymore. She has to just get get on with doing things. She has to start not looking out for herself, but looking out for others. Um, both both what she does willingly and what she d does unconsciously. And she has to throw away her her her, her clothes and put on those of a maid. Um, and it that's that that's implied to change her. So there's this interesting thing because after she she's done that at his urging, she meets Haku again, and he doesn't recognise her. He's he's gone from this um, person who recognised her and had this connection with her to someone who's just like this um, steely um, disciple of the witch, and she sort of questions if he's even the same person and we and we find out later that's because he's in the same situation as her he has has lost his name he's lost who he is and it was only because he had a prior connection with her that he was able to re regain that um sense of of his self through her connection for a moment and when she is changed from chihiro to sen that's lost again and mm. he reverts to being um yubaba's um, underling and from that then on Sen is, is a worker in, in the bathhouse and, and there's this line the film draws between her and the other the rest of the cast where she often carries out her actions from her heart and she treats everyone equally and mm -hmm. all the staff are very mercenary they're they're always concerned with their status within the organization and what they're getting paid for doing it and these little bits of favor trading between people you get the sense since that everyone everyone has something on someone else and they're all all horse trading to to get a leg up in in the in this this organization and the the structure itself being this this tower where you you the higher you you go up in this tower the more senior you are in like just like up at the top there's your baba and it's like that's that that becomes really evident for in like one of the first big dramatic things in the film where there's the, the survival of a, a spirit called no face and he he basically just reflects the 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 appetites of those around him. So when he he meets Sen, and she doesn't really have any desires, he 
he he he doesn't really he's quite gentle and peaceful but once he's in the bathhouse and he's around the rest of the staff he just becomes this ravenous monster like fueled by their desires for for gold and status and it's not until he's he's sort of infuriated by Sen's lack of desire and chases her out that he sort of slowly sheds those um that monstrous side of himself and and reverts to this far more um gentle personality and i just thought it was is i i didn't pick up any of the that this i any of that the first time i watched it obviously like i i saw it as like this comment on personality but i didn't quite pick up like it was so entangled with this idea of this place as a workplace and like how she's um how her identity changes when and as i think as you talked about with uh hansaka uh, her uh, before the break Ben, like how after she leaves she's she's matured even at this young age that um when she when she enters there she's constantly looking back unsure of herself and when she leaves it's she's given that 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 typical all instruction whenever you're leaving an underworld or a spirit realm don't look back and that was mm-hmm. something she'd been constantly doing earlier on she it's always about getting back to her uh to the the world, getting back to her her parents, getting back to the the, the place, place where she her school, her her friends, etc. She this all these things, which she was defining herself by, which aren't her. But at the end, she she doesn't look back because she's got this uh, little cord around her her hair, which is tied by her friends, and she's basically carrying with them as as part of who she is. And it's it's like this. It's very interesting in sort of shedding of self and then rebuilding of self that that the film does and i i and i hadn't hadn't sort of noticed that cycle before and it was it was fascinating to me yeah it's it is interesting how there is sort of almost a community in the bathhouse but it's a community that's definitely like built on like greed and exploitation and hierarchy. It resembles the person who's in charge of the bathhouse, mm. uh, their personality and their and their concerns. But at the same time, there are still these rules of hospitality, um, where like if Sin goes up and asks for a job, she's required by like witch law <laughs> to 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 give her a job. And it's so funny to watch her like explain exclaim with irritation when sin won't stop asking as she's using all these tricks to try to get her to to stop asking in which case she can make a move against her so there is this the idea of being being constrained by inconvenient rules against your will is probably pretty authentic for anyone who's ever been in a service industry job (laughs) or a job period so yeah i it's it's a very warm sort of thing and the fact that like Sen gets adopted by some of like the older the older like work ladies not old older like old but just not a kid not a literal child yeah. um, it's, it's, it's like and they all sleep together on yeah. the floor so like that uh, i think um i think lynn's the name of the the, the yes. woman um and I, it is quite kind of sweet how she becomes like a a, a a her senior and sort of adopt 
adopts her into her care, like very begrudgingly, but yes. but clearly with more affection than she would admit. Um, and like the consequence of me watching this is like, Lynn's kind of a normal looking person, but it's implied that she is still some kind of spirit, but we ne we're never told what. And then, but part of me now after having watching watched it through and like reconsidered the importance of names kind of goes is lynn her name is that or I is think that lynn's correct no no but oh, oh but is that oh, right is that is how did she have it changed yeah yes like uh is are the other women working there um people from the 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 mortal world who've who've wandered in and never wandered out because because one of the things Lynn talks about is or wanted to get train tickets to leave she doesn't seem to to know why she wants to go or where she's going to go she's just she wants to get a train ticket that's like one of her her little desires and it it kind of got me thinking that that thing of well maybe that's someone who's just become so acclimatized she can't leave. But maybe she will after having meeting uh, Chihiro. And that's kind of like a, a nice little afterthought for, for me in terms of like a character who, who maybe finds this impulse in someone else to to go out and, and rediscover who she is. And it's, it's just a, a, a fantastically gorgeous film. Like, like mm -hmm. just pile as many superlatives as you want on top of each other, <laughs> put a cherry on top of that. And, you, you, and I think it's... There's, there's that classic Ghibli one too of like really really sumptuous backgrounds and uh, really perfectly iconified characters and, and like that that contrast and the excellence of the execution of both it w works perfectly the way you've, you've whether it's I think like your brother's office is a personal favorite like this, this all this ornate furniture and which is dark and you it's and you've just got her lurking at behind this desk, and <laughs> and it's I, th I think you commented like how a lot of um, how light isn't used at all in um, Earwig recently, and like Spirited Away just is uses it in so many different ways, like how you've got the bright open spaces between between in the the bathhouse and the rest of the spirit world. And how like even the the furnace room like supposedly the the darkest um, the the deepest part of this um, bathhouse still has this warm glow to it because it because the person who in is in there is is this friendly and kind of cranky old man and whereas mm -hmm. Yoboba is she she is at the top she should be the brightest and the lightest but because of her personality it's just this completely dark foreboding place and it's 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 Ghibli do, doing their absolute top game um, yeah yeah watch it again <laughs> it's 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 never a bad time to watch Spirited Away cool well speaking of other shows that have a bit of a like homey feel to them Jeff you <laughs> watched. Silver Spoon, right? As well as finishing up uh, Sound of the Sky, mm -hmm. yeah, which I'll, we mentioned earlier. I'll, I'll start with Sound of the Sky. Um, when I'd begun that show, it was under the auspices of our, you know, cozy post-apocalypse focus that we did on the last mm -hmm. episode. And when I, you know, when we recorded, I had basically only watched the episodes that 
had mostly covered their, you know, comfy daily life in this border town and these five, you know, girls in uh, that make up the entire platoon of this outpost, you know, just and, you know, and it had started to hint at there was, you know, something bigger happening. And, you know, I, I finished the end of the show and it did not do the like sudden turnaround of now everything is terrible that I would had suspected based on humorous gifts that people had posted about the show showing like <laughs> traumatic battle scenes and people getting blown up and killed um, <laughs> because like the show, like, you know, it takes place, you know, in a post apocalypse, but also, you know, in peacetime after a, a war or at least a tenuous peacetime. Uh, the, the initial apocalypse has happened several generations ago. It's never made entirely clear what happened, which is kind of nice. Uh, it is implied that the story of the town earlier, you know, is somewhat rooted in fact where there was like, you know, an angel descended from heaven or actually, like the, the the town's version of the story is that there was like a terrible devil that came to destroy the world, and these shrine maidens defeated it, and with the help of the the townsfolk. Uh, but then it's also revealed that you know in other countries they think that an angel descended from heaven went to the town for refuge, and then it was murdered by the locals. Um, and it is partially this belief that uh, leads to the conflict. Uh, there is a uh, and this mostly spirals out into being an excuse for the show to basically have a situation where, you know, improbably, you know, half of the people who are posted at this outpost uh, or a synonym that doesn't result in me saying post twice in three words. Uh <laughs> One is like Noelle, who was a, you know, she's implied to be this like mechanical genius uh, who has been, you know, tinkering away at this old tank uh, that is, you know, what passes for their, you know, ability to project force at this base, uh, but doesn't have mm -hmm. any like parts or ability to move. Uh, it's revealed that she was instrumental in a number of war crimes that their country had committed against uh, the other, uh, for, you know, country, the Roman Empire, uh, which is what they call <laughs> in the show. You know, it's it's a you know, we can go into that bit later of like the weird way the world is constructed of just borrowed names of different places that are all completely incongruous. Uh, also, Rio, the master sergeant, it turns out, is secretly the princess of the country. And uh -huh. there's like, you know, th this big plot starts creeping in on the edges where the, you know, there are elements of the military that want the conflict to start again because they have a very, like, fist of the North Star mentality of we want the world to be in chaos because, you know, I'm Lindelfinger and chaos is a ladder and we will make humanity yeah. great again and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but it's also kind of refreshing where that impulse is basically entirely con contained within that one guy and the military, you know, who are, you know, he, he is in charge of, you know, they follow him because they're following orders, but the, for the most part, you know, the rank and file do not want to fight anymore. They are, you know, you know, they'll they'll fight if they're told to, but if they are given any excuse to not fight, you know, that 
you know, they will take it. And, you know, the show eventually culminates in the, you know, naturally Noel gets the, uh, the tank going again. Rio goes off to her destiny to like marry the prince of the Roman empire to try and save the peace deal. And, you know, before this bad, uh, military commander can reignite the war through, you know, getting the enemy forces to attack them. They are able to stop it by, you know, playing Amazing Grace in the middle of the battlefield before, you know, battle can start. And, you know, in that moment, you know, you get sort of a, a mini Christmas truce from World War One, where, mm-hmm. you know, the humanity of the soldiers, you know, overcomes the, the will, you know, the murderous intent of their masters and... Eventually, you know, everything calms down and becomes nice and idyllic again. And it, you know, for a show that is mostly primarily just an excuse to have these five cute girls do cute things with a bunch of like military, you know, Taisho era otaku slash walking tank, you know, style you know, mecha suits. It's strange how those things cross over more often than you'd think. Yeah, like it has kind of like a Valkyria Chronicles kind of vibe going to it yeah. where, yeah. you know, it's just, a, you know, it, largely it's, a, you know, it is an aesthetic and, or an, an aesthetic, yeah, aesthetic and, you know, you know, mood excuse just to have, you know, a comfy show. I did like the the implication that like, you know, these conflicts happen largely as a result of forces that people don't entirely understand uh, or are completely aware of and that, you know, humanity can overcome, you know, these designs if it's allowed to. And it's, yeah, like, you know, it was a nice sort of capping off of that, you know, what we were talking about, like the post-apocalypse being an opportunity to, you know, go back to, you know, to have an, you know, an, an idealized world, you know, if we get to shake off the the momentum of the modern world. And yeah, I quite enjoyed it. Yeah. And it's, it's worth pointing out when they deployed Amazing Grace, it's not out of nowhere. It's been established since like the very first episode that this is specifically, um, is it Kana? Is she the main girl? Yes. Yes. Kana like that's why she heard someone play Amazing Grace, and so it's symbolic of her love of music, and it's also kind of symbolic of the the trumpet is either playing Amazing Grace or it's playing Reveille and Taps and like mm-hmm. other military stuff, and so the decision to play Amazing Grace at the end I think is indicative of rejecting the trumpet as a handmaiden in war, yeah, um, playing something so beautiful that you can't help but be arrested by it, and there's no way that it can have violent intent behind it, at least in the show's understanding of the song mm-hmm. and and yeah i just wanted to say you know i thought it was a, a, a very uh, <laughs> i can't oh, it's I'm, good yeah it's good <laughs> i really enjoyed it i thought the you know it, it put it brought everything together really nicely i looked it up and there is no other manga there is no other movies i'm kind of relieved by that because they would hmm. almost certainly be tempted into explaining away all the things that are left nicely vague by the show itself. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it was established by a project called anime no Chikara, which was um, an attempt uh, by an ex, uh, an ex sunrise producer to like bankroll uh, t- partnered with a uh, a one pictures, TV Tokyo and Anaplex 
um, to make an original anime series that have no no manga, no other stuff, just like an anime show that you watch it and that's the entirety of its experience. And there were three. There's Sound of the Sky, which is very good. There's Occult Academy, which is fun and weird. And there's Night Raid 1931, which I have yet to watch because it's two core instead of one core. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, oh no, sorry. It's 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 a, a core and an OVA. My mistake. <laughs> I'm always glad to to have uh, anime original things. I think like a lot of of the time, I will give an anime original more time to get up to speed than I will a uh, a, a uh, adaptation because I have the expectation that it has it knows its pacing. It knows it it only has this number of things. So if it's starting slow, it's starting slow for a reason. It's not just a, a bungled thing. It's a, it's a deliberate choice. Mm-hmm. It's, they, they know their finish point when they start. And so that's, that's, do you, do you think like, I think like, um, sometimes shows like, which have the, this mix of military and like, um, cute girls doing cute, things like a lot of that is the day-to-day and do you think like the the way you describe it is like this show sounds like it seeds a lot of the the stuff that it's going it resolves quite early and actually has quite a um compelling well not necessarily compelling but quite a (laughs) strong narrative um flow through it is is that would you two say that's true yeah i would say so yeah, it, it seems it seems like a fairly episodic show, but there are there are through lines like Noel working on the tank, mm-hmm. um, and Hannah working blue on- hair blue pur- yeah purple haired sergeant lady uh, who has like a mysterious past, and she obviously knows more than she is letting on, but refuses to talk about it. Uses her position of authority to to shout people down, mm-hmm. and yeah, and Hannah trying to. Trying to work on her ability to play music at all because she's yeah. not very good at it. Oh, so. <laughs> I wondered about. I was going to ask that. Do, do you get to see her practicing? Do you? Does she start out bad? Yeah. I, yeah. And oh, yes, yeah. she's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> she, has, she, has, she has no tech. She has no technique. She's terrible. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She joined the, the military because she wanted to learn how to to play the trumpet, and she's gifted with perfect pitch and very good hearing, but that does not translate in any way to being able to play the trumpet. <laughs> And yeah. it is her love of the song and her connection to it that keeps pushing her through, you know, despite the fact that the town is also suffering because her being the, the trumpet player, <laughs> you know, it's her job to, you know, it's like they, they live in the clock tower uh, fortress. And it's called that because them playing the trumpet is how the town measures time. And they're subjected yeah. to her terrible, terrible <laughs> playing, which slowly gets better throughout the show. And then culminates in her being able to do a perfect rendition of Amazing Grace on a bugle. And uh, I guess, no, yeah. I guess, I guess she does have a, a trumpet technically at that point, but they don't seem to really make a, a distinction between the bugle and the trumpet and the sound that it's able to make or what it's used yeah. for. <laughs> It's too, that's too hard to explain. But I mean, even so, like the town loves the girls so much, like they kind of like, oh, kind of sucks. But like, they're like, oh, try better next time, daughter is kind of the energy that they have there. Yeah. Dude, that's our, that's our, that's our, that's our girl. She's shitty at the trumpet. Uh, a, a question which like Jeff seemed to raise in his thing, which I, I wonder whether they resolved is, um, do they, 
ever uh, revealed the identity or or context that she heard it in because that's often like a big thing oh who who was this person that they heard playing or saw saw doing whatever thing to inspire them did they ever re-meet that person i think i think rio used to rio she heard rio play it right or rio's older sister uh, so there's a a, a, a subplot that you know at some point all of the girls during the war when it was in its you know in, in its high pitch in met the 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 high you know the princess the, the crown princess of their uh country who had joined the military as a bugleist and who would play amazing grace you know on the battlefield uh and it is hearing that song that you know brings a lot of them back you know there is a there's like the sort of like you know lesbian masher, uh, <laughs> second lieutenant yeah. uh, Felicia Heidelman who you know she's very you know slack and lackadaisical, but you know we're shown yet you know during the war she was you know intensely traumatized. She was the only survivor of her walking tank, and then spent you know a good amount of time lost in pre-war ruins. You know having hallucinations about you know, people in the past and then being rescued by the princess to, you know, and then being sent off to, you know, an unimportant, uh, fortress on the, on the, on the, on the frontier to sort of sit out the rest of the war because she basically was not able to handle it anymore. Um, so yeah. you, you, everybody is like, you know, it's one of the one of the conceits of the show is that all of these you know five disparate girls just happen to encounter the princess you know during you know these traumatic times and that is like the foundation of their relationship together as well. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a good show. It's it's it really sucks that when it came out and it it had come out just after K on K on and everyone's like, hey, it's K on goes to war, and now it's it. As much as I love Kaon, Kaon is a comedy. This is trying to have something to say, and sure, a lot of it's kind of brain dead, anti-war. Like, hey, war's bad. People die in war. Don't don't do it. <laughs> um, but but it's still it's it's cute, except for the episode where she pees her pants because yeah, because that one's that's weird because um, she has to wait for a call and she is afraid to leave the phone even for a second. And so she eventually ends up peeing her pants because she she won't leave the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, it's very it's. Even though the girls like range between like fourteen and eighteen years old or something, yeah, they're still they're still like treated mostly as people, and they're never made a joke for the fact that they're kind of playing soldier in these ruins. Like they're all they're all children fundamentally. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, there isn't a lot of like military aged men in the show, uh, which also sort of like quietly implies that the war was ruinous and terrible and that, you know, these are the people who they have left to be their army. Um, so, you know, if you really wanted to find a reason to explain why are these teenage girls yeah. the, the only military force in this, on this frontier town. Um, yeah. It's obvious that they're, they're running out of mil- military age men and yeah, the, the world they say pretty explicitly, and I think the final episodes are like, "Yeah, the world's dying. It's not going to recover from this, probably." Mm-hmm. Um, the no man's land is spreading. There's, it's 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 kind of Nausicaa esque in that sense, except Nausicaa does have the does have the the catharsis at the end that the that the force of death is actually purifying. Well, this mostly just seems like, "Yep, 
they passed the tipping point. Too many nukes, too many bioweapons. Mm-hmm. Life is not going to is not going to stick around on Earth anymore. Yeah, yeah, like they, you know, the the girls appear to be uh, in like the, the the name of their country is Hitalia. Uh, the you know there are Hel- Helvetia. Helvetia, yeah. Or Hel- <laughs> I was going to say that reminds me of a, a different bad anime show. <laughs> and then you know they're they're fighting the Roman Empire. That uh, you also hear you know people mention like the Frank and I think like the Brit at some point but then they see he's like oh i found this it's a map of the world and i'm fairly certain it was a map of korea uh and that you know that is what you know composes the world for them so you know again i'm kind of glad that there isn't more because they would feel compelled to you know explain exactly in tedious detail why all these things are the way they are and even though the show ends with a you know and the adventure continues sort of teaser that they could, you know, spin off more if they were given the opportunity. I'm sort of glad it didn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Th- there is like, it's just kind of a sort of like late medieval slash early modern Europe, like the whole Roman empire, the Swiss confederation, the, um, the Franks and the Britons as, as races. There is an attempt, which I think a lot of times post-apocalyptic stuff likes that, Oh, we, re- we reverted back to these old, these old names for things, which I guess probably comes from like in China, especially, but also in Japan, like new dynasties naming themselves over like the old dynasty that that originally was in the region, like the Han or the Tang or that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also kind of comes no. across like, you know, in uh, Fallout New Vegas, where there is just yeah. a bunch of guys who call themselves Caesar's Legion because they heard Julius Caesar was cool once. <laughs> Yep. And well, do you want to tell us a little bit about Silver Spoon? Yeah. Uh, another show where you get to explore a life apart from the hustle, you know, the busy hustle bustle that, you know, the apocalypse, you know, can possibly free you from. Uh, Silver Spoon, a show about a kid who, you know, from Tokyo who had a nervous breakdown in middle school because he failed to uh, get into his first choice uh, school. And so just opts to go to whichever uh, boarding school is furthest away from his family and accidentally enrolls himself into a farming vocational school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is a great example of, you know, it's, it's John's favorite genre of I'm leaving the country or I'm leaving the city to go live in the countryside. Uh, and it has a lot of those sort of tropes to it, but also it is a, it's very, very interested in getting into the sort of the nitty gritty life of what it's like to be a part of the, you know, the food production uh, supply line in a major country. And you get a nice cross section of, you know, people who have operate small farms, people who operate like larger organ, you know, operations. Uh, there is a kid who wants to become a vet. Uh, they deal with the realities of raising animals to be eaten uh, and to be, oh. and to be used. Yeah. And it grapples with that very honestly and very earnestly. It mostly falls on the side of it's probably fine because this is what we do and they're too delicious to give up. Um, 
<laughs> I object. They're not too delicious to give up. <laughs> well, I mean, they, they, but they do have like everyone tells them like don't like don't name the pigs; mm-hmm. they're gonna die. And he ignores them and names the pig, and then <laughs> oh, and then eventually at the at the end of the the class, he has to he like kills it and he eats it, and it it makes him appreciate the 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 cost that goes into food. So it is a bit like. It's like the, I mean, a, a more thoughtful and spiritual. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. No, don't it's don't like, think like of it the, that way. You're, like you're projecting Charl- onto it. It's like Charlotte's Web. writes <laughs> some pig and at the end of and the, <laughs> the poor poor pig's taken off and, and and slaughtered, and you get some bacon written in there. <laughs> no, I mean, but it, it is it is about like how you have to face that your your food comes from a living animal. That's mm-hmm. what that's what the that's what it is. Else- and like. Plants scream when we kill them too, but we we have a lot more sympathy for things that have faces. Mm-hmm. So, but it's not you know it's not just about the you know the spiritual right. dilemma of eating animals. It's also the the struggle of the people who are involved in this system. Who you know the the ones who want to treat the animals well want you know are the ones who are you know being the hardest squeezed by the system that they're forced to participate in. There is a character whose basic, you know, his long shot plan is to become a professional baseball player because his family had taken on a massive amount of debt to expand their operation. And just right at the worst time, uh, his father keeled over from overwork. His mother is struggling to keep up the farm as it exists, you know with massive debt and he's like well if i can get into you know if i can take our baseball team to nationals i can maybe parlay that into a uh you know i could parlay that into a career in the majors i can pay off our debts and at the the show has the guts to like you know take them right up to the precipice and then you know just because of a trick of fate you know the last game that they're in, you know, they're in this tournament to get to nationals, but it's like a one and done tournament. The last, you know, he, you know, he's, he's the pitcher. He manages to get a pop fly off the, the last guy who needs to be struck out. The, uh, you know, his teammate, you know, is a, you know, set up to catch it perfectly. And then a gust of wind blows and it drops off. And, you know, the God of baseball laughs in everybody's face every day. And so he is forced to quit and their fa- their family farm is liquidated. And that's just, that's the end of his story there. And that yep. is like the harsh reality of people who are living on that razor's edge. Uh, there's another character whose family runs like a huge, like, you know, mechanized, uh, you know, much less, you know, feeling farm, you know, the second any cow, you know, shows any sign of being, you know, of slowing down, they immediately have it sent off to the slaughterhouse replaced. And it's, you know, and it's never like, you know, oh, but, you know, the quality goes down or anything. It's like, no, it's like, no, this is just how you have to operate here. And it's a very sort of like, very grounded, very realistic look at like, you know, these are the day-to-day struggles of people who are doing this every day. This is, but there's also a, you know, they talk about, you know, because you have like a close connection to the process of, you know, feeding the world, basically you, 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 you grow a, a greater appreciation for that process. And that translates into a deeper, more spiritual life in general, which, you know, plays back into his, you know, the main character's ability to 
confront his family and also his sort of like outsider view of becoming way too attached to the animals, getting way too involved in everybody's problems, you know, mm-hmm. not being as blase about the fact that like, oh, yeah, he had to quit school because his family farm is being liquidated and he has no purpose in being here now. It's like, you know, for a lot of these people, you know, they've been beaten down by the system for so long that they're just accepting of this and him being there and, you know, allowing himself to be harmed by you know other people's pain is like something that's new to them and awakens you know more of an an appreciation for that as well and yeah it's just it's a very beautiful show uh there is you know there's a lot of like high school anime kind of stuff there's you know there's a love interest that never quite culminates it probably does in the manga you know i do appreciate the (laughs) the fact that you know towards the end of the series like every other character is as annoyed by them not already being together as the audience clearly is, <laughs> which is, which is great. And yeah, I really like the show. I sort of watched it on a whim. John had said it was good and it was, and he's usually right about those kinds of things. So <laughs> I followed through and yeah, it was great. Unfortunately, it, it, the, the other thing that was sort of the impetus for me watching it is that it was being removed from Crunchyroll. Uh, I think today, the day of, that we are recording. So if you want to watch it, good luck. There are other ways, but... Travel back in time <laughs> yeah. a week ago. It's, it's it, also... it can't run fast enough anymore, so it's been sent out. Yep. I think it usually shows up in like Sentai uh, sales as well. So you might be able to get the Blu-rays for relatively uh, cheap. Not not Sentai. It's, an, it's published by Aniplex, ah. unfortunately. Oh, never so. mind. <laughs> So if you want to pay $45 each for two separate uh, DVD volumes, then you can you can watch uh, Silver Spoon. Or maybe you'll find it somewhere else. I can't say. <laughs> uh, it's worth tracking down for sure, though. Well, what's not worth tracking down? So we haven't done much uh, covering the, uh, the season in progress. Um, and I have pretty interesting things to say about Nagatoro and about Dinozenon and about Slime Diaries, and about Super Cub, but instead I'm going to talk about Battle Athletes Victory Restart, because I do not know why this exists. So, <laughs> this Battle Athletes Victory Restart is based on a manga made uh, made last year that ran for about a year, give or take, a little bit less, um, and and which is not by the original author of the manga, uh, the original Battle Athletes manga, it's just a completely separate thing. And then they decided to adapt it with a no-name studio with um, small-time actors. Uh, it reuses all the names. It takes place, well, some of the names. It, re- it uh, takes place 100 years after Battle Athletes' victory. There's a completely different social, political situation. But, yeah, I mean, irony is used for a lot of weird purposes these days. But I can't think of anything more ironic than the sequel slash reboot of Battle Athletes Victory, which is, again, if you heard me talking about it, a gag-heavy, Yuri-flavored parody of sports anime that's mostly about the imperative not to spend your life in someone else's shadow. Uh, So the sequel slash reboot to that um, is really struggling to find an identity that's distinct Mm -hmm. from the fuzzy halo of goodwill and faded memories that's around a a show that's at this point a quarter of a century old. It could be renting a car at this point. <laughs> um, they both are about outrageous outer space Olympics with cardboard cutouts of convincing characters. Um, but battle athletes victory takes, takes those 
stereotypical characters and narrows them down, lets the protagonist encounter each one of them um, challenge and refine her reasons for competing, um, which eventually ends in a showdown with the reincarnation of her mother, the, the greatest athlete to ever live, um, who's been who's been cloned by the aliens to compete against her. And so it is literally about her about her moving past this this relationship with her mother. It's not like art. This isn't a great show. It's it's a it's an anime that relies really heavily on like lesbian masher stuff, uh, of course. Um, but it definitely made you know who all the characters were and to care about what they what they want and need, which is important in comedy as well as drama. It's not just drama that needs stakes. Comedy needs stakes. Meanwhile, Battle Athlete's victory is just throwing up subplots that all they do to me is just say that they do not think that it's, that a like wacky space Olympics uh, is. They don't believe that that's enough to hold down an entire show. So, I mean, in the first episode, I said like they have a group of guys in the shadowy council that's like ruling the solar system. Be like, yeah, the, the competition doesn't matter. She's a figurehead. Whoever wins is a figurehead. We just want to make sure it's our it's our figurehead, I guess. <laughs> so yeah, like we don't we don't get to see kayaking or zero g dodgeball or like rock climbing on mars um instead we have a genetically engineered ringer who's being propped up by the shadowy council and then we have that that ringer discovering her lost identity against the council's wishes and then we have a detective puzzling out that lost identity and we have a terrorist bombing campaign targeting that detective and that terrorist bomber is blackmailing another competitor her former friend to assassinate a teammate and that teammate is supplying weapon is her family supplying weapons to a civil war on the moon and like it's just constant constant intrigue like all those balls i listed are in the air 5 episodes in um <laughs> and with lengthy navel gazing scenes about like the ethics of like, oh, if one friend tells me to kill another friend, what should I do? Which I mean, it's it's idiotic. <laughs> it's the kind of like cod philosophy that anime traffics and especially bad shown in anime. But like all this time devoted to all of this, these like intrigue plots, um, while we only get to see like three or four competitions never presented in full, always cut away from and oftentimes cut away from the conclusion they're like competing and then the like the pressing issue gets passed and and then those cut those cut and someone will walk in there and be like man i'm sure glad i won that race it's like let us see the fucking race end what's wrong with you but this is a show that doesn't think it needs to tell jokes either no wacky competitions no races just like genocide on the moon and, <laughs> and arms deals and a and a detective named jeff jeff the detective um, who is unfortunately drawn in the way that anime draws uh, people of color where they're just it's just someone took the paint fill tool and just like changed all the colors so that they they don't look like a black person. He's just just got black hair and black skin, whatever. I don't know. It's really hard not to just talk about Battle Athletes Victory Restart without just like listing a litany of its flaws with or without comparison. It's a cash in on an old anime that's a niche oddity. It's a design by committee where apparently the committee never reached a consensus about this, what this fucking anime is about. It constantly references Battle Athletes Victory. Every character shares a last name with a character from Battle Athletes Victory. While at the same time being like, fuck you, no jokes. Fuck you, no sports. It sounds <laughs> sounds soul crushing, man. Yeah, it's really hard. It's a sports anime with no sports, a gag anime with no gags. It 
Does it at least it have makes like city, makes City Hunter look fresh? It makes me a worse critic because all I do is complain about it. I don't have any synthesis to give here. It's just bad. Is the, is is the at least like a best girl you can like clamp onto and and hope for her appearances? No. Well, so my favorite girl in um in uh, Battle Athletes Victory was Lin Fa Wong, the kind of racist Chinese. Uh, contestant who like her family was massively rich and she just used money to like buy ways to cheat out of races Um, and they blew up on her and then she gets kicked out and she comes back with just like the big swirly glasses and a pink wig and she's like I'm a new competitor oh it's so funny Uh, and there's no one like that like (sighs) now I'm having to think okay there is one girl um her Shelly, so Lin Fa Wong was in Battle Athletes Victory. Shelly Wong is, again, reusing a last name, is uh, the main girl who is has the same last name as the protagonist in Battle Athletes Victory. Um, she's her partner, and she, like, qualified and then for the, for the Space Olympics and then got hit by a truck. And so she has a prosthetic arm and a prosthetic leg. And, like, if you use prosthetics too hard in this world or if they aren't properly calibrated to you... They can like initiate a biofeedback thing that will like weaken your heart or your lungs. And so there's actually a thing where the genetically engineered ringer is going to win and they're like wacky kayak game, which I thought that was the coolest thing. We didn't even get to see any of that where they have to like track a whale in kayaks and fire a suction cup harpoon onto it. And whoever does that first wins. Congratulations. <laughs> These are sports. Um, this is in space. Too. It's an ocean in space. But uh, but uh, she was trying to keep up with the genetically engineered girl and she was like frying her her uh her prosthetics and she actually has a reasonably like not actively painful thing about how like she's trying to see her prosthetics as not as limitations i don't know if the show's going to follow through with that but that was what was vaguely in the air that episode was her like frying her her prosthetics and possibly killing herself just to prove that she was as good as someone who's 100% biological and i liked that um and then she and then she didn't see a she saw a glow around the genetically engineered girl and she's like, oh, that's the grace of God. I don't have that. I can never win this sports event. So fuck you, Battle Athletes Victory Restart. That's a ch- shitty way to end that arc. But um, I don't know. It makes me like Battle Athletes Victory more and also makes me mad at it because I don't I, this thing's a piece of shit. I hate it. <laughs> uh, Is it le- at least does anybody have a cardboard emotional support box? No, no, they, they got rid of the funniest joke in the, in the previous show. No, she just talks about potatoes all the time. That's what counts for jokes. Ugh. She like she grew up on a potato farm. And so she's like, boy, this 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 sure beats digging up potatoes. And like, what are you all having for dinner? I'm having potatoes. Do you like those jokes, Jeff? They sound good, right? I'm, I'm, the idea of potatoes just being inherently funny. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, Slime Diaries did that last episode, too. Everyone's digging up sweet potatoes. Ugh, no. Yeah. Yeah, it just sounds like a joke that they like ripped off of uh, Attack on Titan. There's a potato no, the girl. cardboard emotional support. Yeah, there's a potato girl there. Well, it's it's funny. It's like peasant food. That's yeah. that's the joke, I guess. <laughs> and it's the it's so the I guess the joke is the idea that this peasant could compete at a galactic level uh, with a. Uh, yeah, I mean, I my my what's getting me through it is every time I watch it, that's one less episode I'll ever have to watch of it. So <laughs> I sure hope it ends at twelve. I hope they don't go for the full thirteen. Hmm. That's my that's my upshot. Uh, yeah, watch. So there's Battle Athletes Victory, which is the the twenty six episode series. There's also a six episode OVA that is less funny but weirder. They cut a bunch of the characters because they just like they did the berserk thing where they're like we can't 
adapt the whole show. So let's just cut everybody connected to the bigger plot. And we'll just have the Space Olympics without the fact that it's the Space Olympics are being held to train people to be ready for when the aliens come back. Because if they can't beat the aliens in the Space Olympics, then Earth gets annexed and humanity gets enslaved. And then the aliens come back. And I guess it was good that one of the one of the contestants was constantly cheating because the aliens cheat, too. They're like, here's our here's our hundred meter dash person. It's just a girl who's just like fused to the hood of a car, which is still <laughs> the funniest fucking thing. Uh <laughs> Like that's not fair. Uh, and they had a three-legged race thing, and one of the and one of the contestants is just like a girl with three legs. It's, that's how they like. Oh, what are we gonna do? <laughs> she was born with three legs. Mm. Oh, but no, I don't get any of that. That's you can see why I tricked myself into watching this terrible spinoff that comes a quarter century again too late. But. Which is the I played shame. myself. Yep, it's a shame too because like a lot of these revival shows that we're getting these days are pretty good. A lot of them, like you know, occasionally like Berserk, they kind of go off the deep end just because of production woes. But usually they're not entirely cynical. Like you know, there's obviously a commercial motivation for doing any of them, but for the most part, like it's being made by people who loved it in the first place. But yeah, it sounds like this one was just, it's, it's truly bizarre. Like I don't, maybe it has a bigger following in Japan than it does here. Cause like you are the literally the only person I've ever heard talk about this show, but I, I, I started to watch it literally because I watched AMV hell and they played the living in a box single. Yep. And then they just had all the scenes of of Kanata just hiding in a box every time every time someone makes Kanata feel bad, she get she crawls inside this cardboard box that has a house painted on side and in crude childlike letters it's it's Akari's house. It's like her name and she just hides inside there whenever people make her feel bad. You know and that shit's funny. So it, <laughs> it occurs to me now that maybe Battle Athletes Victory exists as an anime because it's technically supposed to be the E when uh, the Olympics are happening this year. <laughs> it's very possible. And boy, is the joke Maybe on there. That, that might have, that that's actually a pretty a pretty astute <laughs> astute guess, Duncan. But no, the real reason um, the imprint is is uh, is Comic Ruel, Comic Jardine. The for the manga that it's based on, the studio is Seven, um, which has made some shows. Uh, like Homes of Kyoto and King's Game, the animation, they made those, both of which were not very good, if I remember John talking about. But they're most known for making for making hentai. They've, they've, they've made a bunch of hentai. You can just see it on their Wikipedia page, just all the hentai they've made. So yeah, it's like, it's kind of set up to fail. There's a, there's a, a, the vocal performances are fine. There's a really weirdly good fight scene that I made a gif of that like, it's just randomly there, like thirty seconds into the seventh episode. Um, when, doesn't when, pay off. But when you, when you link that, that we had like a little discussion of like, oh, wow, maybe it's that's done by a different production team, and or or maybe there's there's someone on on their their, their staff who cared about it and had a and actually has like um, experience doing that sort of thing. But now you've uh, told me what their studio has experience in that I can't <laughs> help worry what they have experience in animating. Yeah, I mean, I, I mostly think just the choreography is good. Like one girl has a knife, one girl is obviously like good at kicking. And so like the girl's using her like her elbows and forearms to, to like block on the inside when she makes stabs or to deflect and she's kicking whenever she opens up a, it's, it's a good fight. Um, 
it it unfortunately is the like the terrorist from Mars who goes up to the from the moon who goes up to the other moon girl and is like you betrayed me by not catching me when I fell off a cliff during the qualifiers so to show me that you're you're my friend here's an invisible gun that's right an invisible gun it looks pretty stupid um, and she's like here's an invisible gun shoot your partner who is the daughter of of uh of these arm dealers and we have three episodes of Yana Christopher, um, the moon girl, being like, oh, I don't know what to do. I don't want to kill Lydia, Lydia Kirtland. They should have just had to lose the gun. How do you keep an invisible gun for three episodes and not misplace it? <laughs> well, she's got a little hook on the back, which I feel like if I were the... I mean, it's weird because eventually she backs out. She, she tries to... She's going to shoot uh, just uh, Lydia Kirtland, and then she decides not to and tries to kill herself, and Lydia stops her, and then... The terrorist shows up. And she's like, I knew that you weren't going to do that. I knew that you were you're weak. Anyway, I'm going to kill her and you. And, and then they have the fight. Ugh. And then she reveals that she never intended to to kill Lydia. It was all a distraction for a bomb that she put under the under the winner's podium at the end of the race, which I guess there's just no there's just no security, even though there's a civil war on the moon. And even though one of the one of the competitors is like the daughter of like the solar system's biggest arms dealer, like we don't need security. We have we have a we have a a cop named Jeff who is also the target of bombs. He keeps finding bombs in his car and he just dives out of his car and the car explodes. And like, (laughs) oh, it's not I'm laughing not because it's funny it's just sad he like gets in the car and he like opens the glove box and there's a bomb there and he's like oh dang and he just hops out of the car <laughs> take me away let's get out of here and on that note yeah. okay so rate if you can subscribe to us on on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on uh, or just send us an email about it I don't care uh, email us questions, keyframespodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at keyframespod. Find us on Facebook, search for keyframespodcast. Uh, our next episode will be a bit of a special one. We have uh, City Pop DJ and tastemaker Van Pogham, who is coming on to talk about City Pop, to talk about himself, to talk about old anime. Um, with that, you know, nice hand-painted look to it. So tune in. Um, and in the meantime, tell a friend. Andy's not here, so just tell yeah. a friend. Tell Andy, in fact. Yeah, any friend. Literally De- any friend. Dealer's choice. <laughs> the friend you think will like this podcast. There, we've released you. Dobby has been given a sock. <laughs> <laughs> Say goodbye. Goodbye. goodbye.